Welcome, welcome, shalom, shalom, world changers. Tonight is another night of getting into the scriptures and uh, fellowship and, uh, you know, taking your questions and your comments. I'm going to be doing a little bit what I did a couple weeks ago, actually, in comparing First Kings with uh, with Second Chronicles. So it's going to be very interesting in, in that sense. We're going to look at it uh, side by side. This is the way we should always read the scriptures, by the way. We should always read First uh, and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, right next to Chronicles, because Chronicles is pretty much like um, just a repeat of all of that anyway. Chronicles is like a midrash of that. It's almost like a commentary of that. Same for reading the Gospels. We're also going to be reading from the Wisdom of Solomon. We're going to finish that up tonight, chapters 17 to 19. What Hasn't it been awesome so far? It has been absolutely amazing going through the Wisdom of Solomon, and a lot of Protestants rip themselves off by not reading it. And a lot of them don't even know about it because it's not in their modern Bible. But they should. They should know about it for sure. Uh, Travis says, I know nothing of Marcion, any book re- recommendations. I do. I cannot recommend a book uh, on Marcion. Uh, what I would recommend, though, is uh, look at, uh, do some research, look it up on the internet, read about him, read about what he uh, believed. Like he was a Paulian of Paulians. I mean, he he was arguably the first uh, follower and uh, disciple of Paul, um, condemned by most people, um, most church authorities uh, for ages to come, condemned as the one of the greatest heretics that has ever uh, cursed the land, so to speak. Um, I, I would just, uh, I would encourage you to, um, well, you know what? There is a book I would recommend Although it's not, it's not all about Marcion. There's a little bit in it here and there, and that's what I was reading from in that video. Uh, it's a book called The Anti-Nicene Fathers, Volume 1. Uh, you can download it for free, actually, on the internet. I'm sure you can buy it as well. Uh, Anti-Nicene Fathers, Volume 1. That really covers the first uh, few um, decades, actually, after uh, the time of the original disciples. Um, let me just see if I can put that up in the... Um, uh, let me see if I can put that up. If I can just put that up. Uh, uh, anti, it's like this. Anti-Nicene Fathers... Volume one. Actually, you can get like there's like nine volumes. It's a, it's a, an amazing amount of um, uh, material, uh, and it's it is a huge. Each book is huge. Antinousian Fathers, Volume One. There it is on the screen right now over there on YouTube. Um, what that is is a collection of the teachings of the so-called early church fathers. Now, uh, disclaimer. I do not buy into everything that the church that every church father says either. Okay, so you have to read it like a grain of you have to read it with a grain of salt. So, uh, but it is it is very um, informative. Um, it's very good to know. Everybody should know a little bit about the early church fathers. What what they were about. Uh, there were some that were worse than others. Um, so. Uh, however, the early church fathers does contain some history in it, including um, t- 
talking about Marcion. If you just go to, um, I think it's ccel.org, you can download uh, volume one in any kind of format you want and just do a search for Marcion. Um, and you'll, you'll find uh, um, volume one has at least well, 75 different pl- times in, the, in that one volume, it mentions Marcion. Um, when I read from uh, when I read from that in that video, I only took a couple places. I mean, there's a lot more that can be read about Marcion. Uh, that is, I only read literally what like three passages out of seventy-five. Uh, so there's a lot more to read. Um, so again, I'm not condoning everything it says in that book. Take it for what it is. It is men who have. Uh, it's the collection of. The teachings of men um, post um, New Testament, post Book of Acts, put it that way, post Book of Acts. And so some very interesting things in there, some good things in there, some not so good things in there, but that would be um, a place to start anyway. Thank you for the question, Travis. Good question. Um, All right. So, yeah, I was amazed. I'm kind of amazed sometimes because... You know, you expect a lot of uh, you expect a lot of Paulians, uh, you know, to be um, leaving some comments, and a lot of times they don't. And again, I think what they're doing is they're just their gears are turning. They're the you know you can you can smell the smoke. Um, they're thinking about how to respond to that. But to the best of my knowledge, that is the absolute truth. What I shared in that video. Okay. So, um, and you know what happened? Let me just say this before I move on. And this happens so much, especially on, well, I, on, on YouTube as well, but on TikTok even more. And that is these people, they are at their wits end. They cannot, they don't know what to say to me. They don't know how to combat, uh, the facts that I present. So instead they attack me. They start saying things about me uh, trying to make me look bad or, you know, trying to you know, call me names or make me, well, you know, you're uh, this, you're that, or you're, you know, you're trying to just throw dirt on me basically. But, uh, you know, attacking the messenger is not attacking the message, right? So it's a foolish, a foolish move on their, on their part uh, to uh, engage in these ad hominem attacks if it's not ad, ad hominem attacks, it's a straw man, you know, trying to make it look like I believe something that's that I don't believe, um, trying to make me look bad when it's not even true what they're saying. Um, I get that a lot, a lot. If it's not ad hominem, it's a straw man or um, or red herring even. You know, you get the red herring uh, fallacies where they try to distract, you know. Like I, I, I present like five points. For example, just an example, I, I present like five points in a video and they don't speak to any of those points. Instead, they try to they try to distract by bringing up something completely like off topic, completely different. That's how they respond because they can't respond. They can't respond uh, to most of the, the points that I make in these videos without looking like a real <laughs> without looking like a real doofus, without looking like a real, um, you know, Idol worshiper, uh, 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 Paulator, okay, and, and, and someone who idolizes Paul. So they gotta, they gotta try to do, um, they, they gotta try to uh, do damage control. But you know what, Paulian 
theology, Paulian doctrine, and Paulianity is crumbling. It is on the way out. The truth will stand. It's just that we have to get out there. We have to speak the truth so that this truth is known. Amen. Clutch. Welcome, Clutch. Clutch says, ad, ad hominem. Yes, ad hominem attacks is what they do a lot. Yeah, Clutch says, late, but here. Good evening. Good evening, Clutch. Welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> I'm not, Clutch says, I've not seen the short yet. Look forward. Yeah. Travis, good one. Yeah, indeed, all who desire to live godly, a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Notice it doesn't say um, all who believe in Jesus will be persecuted. It doesn't say all who, you know, just have faith will be persecuted. It says all who desire to live godly, right? To, to actually walk it out. Righteousness, practical righteousness. Uh, and that's the case so often, isn't it? So often. Playo123 says, love your reading scripture, bro. Thank you very much, Playo. Uh, Playo says, Paul is on the fence to me. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Okay, um, so let's do it. For those of you on TikTok, I am going to be reading uh, 1 Kings chapter 5, 6, 7, and comparing that with 2 Chronicles chapter 2, 3, 4. Um, I'm also going to be reading Wisdom of Solomon, chapters 17 through 19. That will finish up that book. Uh, and uh, I'm going to read some of the Odes of Solomon as well. If you're interested, if you want to follow along with me and actually see what I'm reading, uh, pull up YouTube. If you can't, I, you know, I had someone earlier say, well, I can't get on YouTube. I'm banned. I'm, 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 you know, they won't even let me on YouTube. If that's the case, um, there are other platforms as well that I'm on, including VK.com, OK.com, DLive, Twitch, um, Facebook, not that Facebook is any better, but uh, t uh, Twitter as well. Um, so I am out there on different platforms just in case if you can't get on YouTube, uh, there, there are those other platforms as well. Okay, guys, let's do it. Let's get into it. This is First um, Kings chapter five on the left, and Second Chronicles chapter two on the right. Okay, so what I do, uh, I have the NASB on the left and the, and the Septuagint on the right. I'm going to just change that to the NASB so that we can just have a little bit more of a comparison here. Or actually, you know what? Because this. Uh, let me just do the NKJV here, uh, just because it's it, it um, the format on this website is a little bit easier to read. Uh, they got it all. Yeah, it's just easier to read here. Um, okay, so I'm going to start with Second Second Chronicles chapter two because it's a little bit ahead of First Kings chapter five, at least that first uh, paragraph. Uh, is a little bit ahead of that. So, 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 1. Then Solomon determined to build a, house, uh, build a temple for the name of the Lord and a royal house for himself. Solomon selected 70,000 men to bear burdens, 80,000 to quarry stone in the mountains, 
and 3,600 to oversee them. Verse 3, Then Solomon sent to Hiram, king of Tyre, saying, As you have dealt with, my with David my father, and sent him cedars to build himself a house to dwell in, so deal with me. Okay, so let me just go over to 1 Kings chapter 5 before we get too far here. Uh, verse 1, Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon because he heard that they had anointed him king in place of his father, for Hiram had always loved David. Then Solomon sent to Hiram, saying, You know how my father David could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the wars which were fought against him on every side, until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side, there is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. Verse 5, And behold, I propose to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord spoke to my father, saying, Your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, he shall build the house for my name. Okay, so let's just go over here to... 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 4. Behold, I am building a temple for the name of the Lord my God, to dedicate it to him, to burn before him sweet incense for the continual showbread, for the burnt offerings, morning and evening, on the, on the Sabbaths, on the new moons, and on the set feasts of the Lord our God. This is an ordinance forever to Israel. And the temple which I build will be great, for our, for our God is greater than all gods. But who is able to build him a temple, since heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain, cannot contain him? Who am I then that I should build a temple except to burn sacrifice before him? Therefore, send me at once a, a man skillful to work in gold and silver, in bronze, in iron, in purple, in crit, and crimson, and blue, who has skill to engrave with the skillful men who are with me in Judah and Jerusalem, whom David, your, your, or my father, provided. Also send me cedars, or cedar and cypress, and algum logs from Lebanon, for I know that your servants have skill to cut, lim cut timber in Lebanon, and indeed my servants will be your servants to prepare timber for me in abundance. For the, for the temple which I am about to build shall be great and wonderful. Okay, so let's go over here again. Um, 1 Kings chapter 5. Again, verse 5. And behold, I... I proposed to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord uh, spoke to my father David, saying, Your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, he shall build the house uh, for my name. Now, therefore, command that they cut down cedars for me in Lebanon, and my servants will be with your servants, and I will pay you wages for your servants according to whatever you say. For you know 
there is none among us who has skill to cut timber like the Sidonians. So it was when Hiram heard the words of Solomon that he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day, for he has given David a wise son over this great people. Okay, so... Second Chronicles chapter 2, verse 10. And indeed, I will give to your servants, the wood, woodsmen who cut timber, 20,000 cores of ground wheat, 20,000 cores of barley, 20,000 baths of wine, 20,000 baths of oil. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, answered in writing, which he sent, which he sent to Solomon, uh, because the Lord loves his people, he has made you king over them. Okay, so again, this, this is not in the uh, first Kings, but this is in second Chronicles. Um, and, um, continuing with second Chronicles chapter two, verse 12, Hiram also said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who made heaven and earth for he has given King David a wise son, endowed with prudence and understanding, who will build a temple for the Lord and a royal house for himself. Now that's a whole lot more than what we got over here in 1 Kings chapter 5. Okay, this is talking about the exact same, it's the exact same thing that Hiram was supposed to say here in both, both uh, accounts. But Second Chronicles, as you can see, Second Chronicles has a lot more uh, how many is more? About three times more words as opposed to um, 1 Kings chapter 5. And he continues even in, in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 2. So Hiram says, And now I have sent a skillful man endowed with understanding, Huram, my master craftsman, the son of a woman of the daughters of Dan and his father was a man of Tyre, skilled to work in gold and silver, bronze and iron, stone and wood, purple and blue, fine linen and crimson, and to make any engraving to accomplish any plan which may be given to him with your skillful men and with the skillful men of my Lord David your father. Okay, let's see what we got here. Okay, so let's catch up over here on First Kings chapter 5. Um, verse 8, Then Hiram sent Solomon, saying, sent to Solomon, saying, I have considered the message which you have sent, which you have sent, uh, excuse me, which you sent me, and I will do all you desire concerning the cedar and cypress logs. My servants shall bring them down from, from Lebanon to the sea. I will float them in rafts by sea to the place you indicate to me, and, and will have them broken apart there. Then you can take them away, and you shall fulfill my desire by giving food for my household." Then Hiram gave Solomon cedar and cypress logs according to all his desire. And Solomon gave Hiram 20 cores of wheat as food for his household, 20 cores of pressed oil. Solomon gave 
uh, to Hiram year by year. Okay, so I think we've got something here. Um, in the footnotes, it says each about five bushels. Each core is about five bushels. And it also makes it very clear here that uh, with the Mesoretic, the Targum, the Vulgate, and the Septuagint, and the Syriac, Syriac uh, manuscripts, it says 20,000 cores. Now that's a whole lot different than just 20 cores. That's a thousand times difference. And that's what I was going to say earlier on here. Um, it does say in Second Chronicles, it says 20,000 cores of ground wheat. In First Kings, it says, well, here, 20,000 cores of wheat as, as food for his household and 20 cores of pressed oil. Whereas it says um, 20,000 baths of oil. So it appears to me that um, um, that we have this First Kings chapter 5 based upon the Masoretic text um, let me just let me just go over here now. This particular this particular translation saying it says twenty cores. Now, just to see what other translations say, uh, let's just check this out. First Kings chapter five, verse eleven. So, First um, Kings chapter five, verse eleven. See what the other translations say. Okay, so it says 20. Now, the King James says 20 measures of oil. Now, that should be... Now, let me just put it this way. Since Second Chronicles says 20,000 and not just 20, and all of those other manuscripts says 20,000, it should say 20,000 here, but it only says 20. So, um, there's a problem. Um and here we have the footnote that that clarifies that, and that is in the uh, New King James. Is what we are reading, um, as well as okay. So then, actually, then the NIV, shockingly enough, has it, has it right here. Um, but we see that there are different translations that have different numbers in it. Uh, so it appears to me if, I mean, there's always the uh, the chance that that 1 Kings chapter 5 saying 20 is right. I don't think it is because it just seems like it goes along with everything else. 20,000 of this, 20,000 of that, 20,000 of the other thing, and 20,000 of the other thing. Um, it just seems to me like it just goes along. It just is more consistent to say 20,000. And, and because of all the other manuscripts saying 20,000, I would tend to say that this is an error and it should say 20,000, not just 20. Okay, moving on. Um, 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 12. So the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he, as he had promised him, and there was peace between Haram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty together. Then King Solomon raised up a labor force out of all Israel and the labor force was 30,000 men. And he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month in shifts. 
They were one month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adoniram was in charge of the labor force. Solomon had 20,000 who carried burdens and 8,000 who quarried stone in the mountains, besides 3,300 from the chiefs of uh, Solomon's deputy. So let's just... um, Okay, so over here... um, uh, let me just make it easier here. So, so this First Kings chapter five verse fifteen corresponds. It seems to correspond with Second Chronicles chapter two, verse two. Uh, Solomon selected seventy thousand men to bear burdens. Compare that with se- uh, Solomon had seventy thousand. To carry burdens, right? 80,000 to quarry stone, which corresponds with this 80,000 who quarried stone in the mountains, and 3,600 to oversee them. Now it says here, besides 3,300 from the chiefs of Solomon's deputies who supervised the people who labored in the work. Now, again, there's a footnote here, probably a disclaimer. Um, yeah, so it says again, the Masoretic, the Targum, the Vulgate, and the Septuagint all say 600. So again, uh, in this particular thing, we do have another discrepancy here. Um, verse 18. Actually, it's a second here. So let me just start. 3,300 from the chiefs of Solomon's deputies who supervised the people who labored in the work. And over there on TikTok, we got X, kiss, kiss, X, says shalom, shalom, welcome, good to see you. Um, Yeah. Verse 17, And the king commanded them to quarry large stones, costly stones, and hewn stones, to lay the foundation of the temple, so Solomon's builders, Hiram's builders, and the Gibalites quarried them, and they prepared timber and stones to bring to build the temple. Okay. So, um, so all this, all this here. I'll just read to the end of Second uh, Chronicles chapter two, anyway. Verse 15, now therefore the wheat, the barley, the oil, and the wine, which my Lord has spoken of, let them, let him send to his servants, and we will cut wood from Lebanon as much as you need. We will bring it to you in rafts by the sea to Joppa, and you will carry it up to Jerusalem. Then Solomon numbered all the aliens who were in the land of Israel after the census in which David his father had numbered them. And they were found to be 153,600. Well, that's a lot. And and he made 70,000 of them bearers of burdens, 80,000 stonecutters in the mountain, and 3,600 overseers to make the people work. Okay, so let's go over to 1 Kings chapter 6. And also 2 Chronicles chapter 3. 
So 1 Kings chapter 6, and it came to pass in the 480th year after the children of Israel had come up or come out of the land of Egypt in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, that he that he began to build the house of the Lord. Now the house which King Solomon built for the Lord, its length was 60 cubits, its width 20, and its height 30 cubits. Now let me just stop there right now because we got these numbers and we'll just go into uh, what it says here in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornon, the, the Jebusite. And he began to build on the second day of the second month in the fourth year of his reign. This is the foundation which Solomon laid for the building of the house of God. The length was 60 cubits. Okay, so that corresponds with, with the first kings. Uh, by cubits according to the former measure, and the width 20 cu cubits. Okay, and that corresponds with that as well. It's width, it's width 20 cubits according to 1 Kings chapter 6. It doesn't talk about its height, at least not immediately here. Um, so it says in 1 Kings, and its height 30 cubits. Uh, 30 cubits, like a cubit is a foot and a half, so like 30 cubits would be like 45 feet. 45 feet high. That's quite a, that's quite a, that's pretty high. Verse 3, the, vest, the vestibule in front of the sanctuary of the house was 20 cubits long across the width of the house, and the width of the vestibule extended 10 cubits from the front of the house, and he made for the house windows with beveled frames okay um verse 4 of second chronicles chapter 3 and the vest the vestibule was in front of the sanctuary excuse me the vestibule the tongue tied here the vestibule that was in front of the sanctuary was 20 cubits long so let me just check here that's that that is the same is that although there is a footnote here? Footnote would just probably tell us about 30 feet. Yeah. Um, across the width of the house, and the height was 120. The height was 120. In the footnotes, 20. Hmm. So in the Masoretic, the Septuagint, the Vulgate, the Arabic, in some of the Septuagint manuscripts, uh, it's, uh, in the Syriac, it says 20 instead of 120. So that's quite a bit of a difference. He overlaid the inside with pure gold. Okay. First Kings chapter 6. Um, the width of the vestibule extended 10 cubits from the front of the house. He made for the house windows with beveled frames. Against the wall of the temple, he built chambers all around, against the walls of the temple, all around the sanctuary and the inner sanctuary. Thus he, thus he made side chambers all around it. 
the lowest chamber was five cubits wide, the middle was six cubits wide, the third was seven, seven cubits wide, for he made narrow ledges around the outside of the temple so that the support beams would not be fastened into the walls of the temple. Okay, so Second Chronicles, I don't see where it talks about. Uh, let's read it anyway. Verse 5, the larger room he paneled with cypress, uh, which he overlaid with fine gold. He carved palm trees and chain work on it. He decorated the house with precious stones for beauty, and the gold was gold from Parvaeum. He also overlaid the house, the beams and the doorposts, its walls and doors, with gold, and he carved cherubim on the walls. Okay, then it goes right into talking about the holy place. So let's... Let's catch up here comparing uh, 1 Kings chapter 6. For those of you who are on um, TikTok, uh, I am reading and I'm, I'm actually streaming live on several different platforms right now, including YouTube. If you want to see what I'm doing, because I am I am comparing uh, 1 Kings with 2 Chronicles. Most Christians, actually, I don't even, I, I know hundreds of Christians. I don't know of anybody that has, has ever done this personally, okay? Um, but you need to do it because there's there, there's so much more to learn and you actually see a lot of the differences and discrepancies and, and contradictions in it as well, doing it this way. Um, if you want to see what I'm doing, if you want to see the comparisons, just go over to YouTube, look me up over there. It's Christopher Enoch. And, um, and I'm doing it right now and I have, uh, yeah. So uh, what I'm going to be doing is reading first Kings, comparing it with Chronicles for, for a few chapters. I'm going to read a few chapters out of the wisdom of Solomon and also out of the odes of Solomon. And then I'll get to your questions. Then I'll get to your questions. I mean, if you have short questions. Someone asked me, are you Christian? Uh, is Jesus a Christian? Is Peter, James, and John Christians? Are they Christians? I'm just as much Christian as they are. At least that's my goal. I mean, uh, you know, I don't want to, I mean, I, they're far ahead of me, but I mean, that my goal is to believe and practice exactly how they did. Okay. All right. So, um, continuing on YouTube again. If you want to see, if you guys want to see what I'm doing, head on over to YouTube. Look me up over. Actually, the link to my YouTube channel is in my TikTok bio. If you just go to my bio on TikTok, tap it, you'll go right to my YouTube, and I'm live there right now, and I'm and I'm sharing my screen. So. You might like it better over there if you're interested in this kind of thing. Okay, so um, 1 Kings chapter, chapter 6, verse 6. The lowest chamber was, okay, so we did that, um, verse 7 then. 
verse 7. And the temple, when it was being built, was built with stone finished at the quarry so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. The doorway for the middle story was on the right side of the temple. They went up they went up by stairs to the middle story and from the middle to the third. So he built the temple and finished it. And he paneled the temple with beams and boards of cedar. And he built chambers against against the entire temple, each five cubits high. They were attached to the temple with cedar beams. Okay, um, let's catch up over here on Second Chronicles chapter three, verse eight. And he made the hot, the most holy place, or the holy of holies. Its length was according to the width of the house, twenty cubits, and its width twenty cubits. He overlaid it with six hundred talents of fine gold. The weight of the nails was fifty shekels of gold, and he overlaid the upper area with gold. The most holy place, in the most holy place, he made two cherubim, fashioned by carving and overlaid them with gold. The wings of the cherubim were 20 cubits in overall length. One wing of the one cherub was five cubits, touching the wall of the, of the room, and the other wing was five cubits, touching the wing of the other cherub. Verse 12, one wing of the other cherub was five cubits touching the wall of the room, and the other wing also was five cubits touching the wing of the other cherub. The wings of these cherubim spanned 20 cubits overall, so that's like 30 feet. They stood on their feet, and they faced inward. And he made the veil of blue, purple, crimson, and fine linen, and wove cherubim into it. He also made, excuse me, also he made in front of the temple two pillars, 35 cubits high, and the capital that that was on top of each of them was five cubits. He made wreaths of chain wood, chain work, as in the inner sanctuary, and put them on top of the pillars. And he made 100 pomegranates and put them on the wreaths of the of, of chain work. Then he set up the pillars before the temple, one on the right hand and the other on the left. He called the name of the one on the right hand, Yaquin, and the name of the other one on the left, Boaz. Okay, so let's go over here to 1 Kings chapter 6. Then the word of the Lord came to Solomon, saying, Concerning this temple which you are building, if you, if you walk in my statutes execute my judgments, keep all my commandments, and walk in them, then I will perform my word with you, which I spoke to your father David. I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. So Solomon built the temple and finished it, and he built the inside walls of the temple with cedar boards. From the floor of the temple to the ceiling, he paneled the inside with wood. He covered the floor of the temple with planks of cypress. Then he built 20 cubit, 
the 20 cubit room at the rear of the temple from floor to ceiling with cedar boards. He built it inside the inner sanctuary as the most holy place. And in front of the temple sanctuary was 40 cubits long. The inside of the temple was cedar, carved with ornamental buds and open flowers. All was cedar. There was no stone to be seen. And he prepared the inner sanctuary inside the temple to set the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord there. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, 20 cubits high. It's like a cube, you know, pretty much like the, uh, the New Jerusalem, right? Like a cube. He overlaid it with pure gold. He overlaid the altar of cedar. So Solomon overlaid the inside of the temple with pure gold. He stretched gold chains across the front of the inner sanctuary and overlaid it with, with gold. The whole temple he overlaid with gold until he had finished all the temple. Also, he overlaid with gold the entire altar that was by the inner sanctuary. Inside the inner sanctuary, he made two cherubim of olive wood, each two cubits high. One wing of the cherub was five cubits, and the, and the other wing of the cherub, five cubits. Ten cubits from the tip of one wing to the tip of the other. And the other cherub was ten cubits. Both cherubim were the same size and shape. The height of one, cher uh, one cherub was ten cubits, and so was the other cherub. Then he set the cherub cherubim inside the inner room, and they stretched out the wings of the cherubim so that the wing of the one touched one wall and the wing of the other cherub touched the other wall touched each other in the middle of the room. He also overlaid the cherubim with gold. Then he carved all the walls of the temple all around, both the inner and outer sanctuary sanctuaries. He carved figures of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers. And the floor of the temple he overlaid with gold, both inner and outer sanctuaries. For the entrance of the inner sanctuary, he made doors of, of olive wood, the lintel, and doorposts were one-fifth of the wall. The two doors were of olive wood, and he carved on them figures of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers. Now, again, let me just stop here for a second. For those of you who, uh, again, take this hyper-literal, hyper-literal Christians would say, well, you know, it says, do not make any image, you know, any graven image or any image, you know. That's not what God said. He didn't say, just don't make any image. Don't, don't make any graven image. It's not to make any graven image to worship it. In context, it was about worshiping these images because it would be a double standard if it wasn't because here we got, you know, we got the image of the cherubim, we got palm trees, images and flowers and pomegranates, all kinds of images that was commanded by God to be made. Um so we need to take everything in, into consideration. We've got to take the whole entirety of Scripture into consideration when we do these kind of uh, interpretations. Overlaid them with pure gold, and he spread gold on the cherubim and on the palm trees. For so the door of the sanctuary, he also made doorposts of olive wood, one-fourth of the wall. And the two doors were of cypress wood, two panels comp comprised 
one folding door, and two panels comprise the other folding door. And he carved cherubim, palm trees, and opened flowers on them. And he overlaid them with gold applied with gold applied evenly on the carved work. And he built the inner court with three rows of hewn stone and one and a row of cedar beams. In the fourth year of the foundation of the house of the Lord, excuse me, in the fourth year, the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid in the month of Zeev, in the eleventh year, in the month of Bul, uh, which is the eighth month, the house was finished in all its details and according to all its plans. So he was seven years in building it. So we have justified by grace says you believe you can lose yourself you can lose salvation that's a false doctrine. <laughs> it's taught all the way through scripture. It's taught all the way through scripture. If you're serious about getting the truth, okay? If you if you're serious about uh fighting for the truth, stick around until after I'm done reading the scriptures. Come on live as a live guest on my YouTube channel. I'm 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 live uh, streaming simultaneously to sev several different platforms right now. Okay, I got I got more over there on YouTube than I have here on TikTok. Stick around. Stick around. Stick around and prove me wrong. Okay, I'm open. But I know that <laughs> you can't do that. You just can't do that. There's no way. There's no way. But stick around. I'll have you on. I'll have you on as a guest. Make your make you know. I'll 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 give you all the rope, and you'll hang your yeah. You'll do it. Justified by grace. I see you're still trying to argue. Save it for later. Save it for later. I'm not going to argue right now. We I got a whole uh, group of people here waiting for me to do scripture readings as we always do every single day, by the grace of God, okay? And so um, stick around. You can come over as a guest, and I'll have lots of fun. I don't know about you, but I'll have lots of fun because there's... <laughs> there's more scriptures and truth and facts to shake a stick at that's against that heresy. BB says shalom over there on YouTube. Um, BB says shalom to you and everyone. Shalom to you. Welcome. Good to see you. <laughs> Travis says, here we go. Not yet. I want to do the scriptures first. If these Paulians, if these Paulians, quasi-Marcionites, I'm just going to say this before I get back in. If these quasi-Marcionite Paulians really believe what they say they believe, if they believe that, that God is on their side, if they believe they have the Holy Spirit to tell them what to say, then they should, they should not be scared to talk to me face-to-face, -face, live. They should not be scared. The truth will win. Voice of One, good to see you over there on YouTube. Moses was bringing them out of Egyptian mythology full of graven images of the fallen angels' offspring, probably why Moses minimized the pre-flood history, in my opinion. Oh, that's interesting. Very interesting. 
And Alex says hi. Hi, Alex. Welcome to see, good to see you. All right, let's let's continue reading. Like I said, I'm going to read through this stuff, and then we're going to get to the comments. And uh, and again, if we have these kind of people on here that think they know what they're talking about, uh, I'll definitely have them on as guests, and and um, and we'll have lots of fun. All right, all right, let's do it. First Kings chapter seven compared with Second Chronicles chapter four. Now, um, all right, I'll start with 1 Kings. It says, but Solomon took 13 years to build his own house, so he finished all, all his house. Verse 2, he also built the house of the forest of Lebanon. Its length was 100 cubits, its, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits with four rows of cedar pillars and cedar beams on the pillars. And it was paneled with cedar above the beams that were on 45 pillars, 15 to a row. There were three, excuse me, there were windows with beveled frames in three rows and and, uh, and window was opposite window in three tiers. And all the doorways and doorposts had rectangular frames and and window was opposite window in three tiers. Okay. First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 1. Moreover, he made a bronze altar. 20 cubits was its length. That's a, that's a big altar. 20 cubits was its width, and 10 cubits its height. That's pretty big. Uh, that's like 30 by 30 feet by 15 feet. Verse 2. Then he made the sea of cast bronze, 10 cubits from one brim to the other. It was completely round. Its height was five cubits and a a line of 30 cubits measured its circumference. And under it was the likeness of oxen encircling encircling it all around. Again, Again, we have graven images there, but it's okay with God because they're not worshiping it, right? Uh, 10 to a cubit, all the way around the sea. The oxen were cast in two rows when it was cast. It stood on 12 oxen, three looking toward the north, three looking toward the west, three looking toward the south, three looking toward the east. The sea was set upon them, and all their back parts pointed inward. It was a handbreadth thick, a hand, a handbreadth thick. And its brim was shaped like the brim of a cup, like a lily blossom. It contained 3,000 baths. Now, in the footnotes, it says about 8,000 gallons. That's a fair amount. That's a fair amount. That's like the size of a, well, uh, that's bigger than the size of a, like a, like a tanker truck. It's about the size of a good-sized tanker truck anyway. 3,000 baths. Verse 6, he also made 10 lavers, and he put five on the right side, five on the left side, and washed, or to wash in them. Such things as they offered for the burnt offering, they would, uh, they would wash in them. But the sea was for the priest to wash in. 
And he made 10 lampstands of gold, according to their design, and set them in, in the temple, five on the right side and five on the left. He also made 10 tables and placed them in the temple, five on the right side and five on the left. And he made 100 bowls of gold. Furthermore, he made the court of priests and the, and the great court and doors of the court, and he overlaid these doors with bronze. He set the sea on the right side toward the southeast. Then Huram made the pots and the shovels and the bowls. So Huram finished doing the work that he was to do for King Solomon for the house of God. The two pillars and the bowl-shaped capitals that were on top of the two pillars, the two networks covering the two bowl-shaped capitals which were on top of the pillars, 400 pomegranates of two networks, two rows of pomegranates for each network to cover the two bowl-shaped capitals that were on the pillars. He also made carts and the lavers on the carts, one sea and 12 oxen under it, also the pots, the shovels, and the forks, and all the articles Huram, his master craftsman, made of furnished bronze for King Solomon for the house of the Lord. In the plain, in the plain of Jordan, the king had them cast in clay molds between Sukkot and Zerada. And Solomon had all these articles made in such great abundance that it was that the weight of the bronze was not determined. Okay, let's catch up here with 1 Kings chapter 7. He also built the house of the forest of, of Lebanon. Its length was... Um, let me start, start here with um, verse 6. He also made the halls of pillars. Its length was 50 cubits and its width 30 cubits. And in front of them was a, was a portico with pillars and a canopy was in front of them. Then he made a hall for the throne, the hall of judgment, where he might judge. And it was paneled with cedar from floor to ceiling. And the house where he dwelt had another court inside the hall of the, of the workmanship. Solomon also made a house like this hall for Pharaoh's daughter, whom he had taken as wife. All these were of costly stones to cut to size or cut to size, trimmed with saws inside and out from the foundation to the eaves and also on the outside of, uh, to the great court. The foundation was of costly stones, large stones, some 10 cubits and some eight cubits, and above were costly stones hewn to size and cedar wood. The great court was enclosed with three rows of hewn stones and a row of cedar beams. So were the inner court of the house of the Lord and the vestibule of the temple. Now King Solomon sent and brought Huram of Tyre. He was the son of a widow of the tribe of Naph Naph Naphtali, or Naphtali. And his father was a man of Tyre, a bronze worker. He was skilled with wisdom and understanding and skill in working in all kinds of bronze work. So he came to King Solomon and, and did all his work. And he cast two pillars of bronze, each one 18 cubits high, and a line of 12 cubits measured the circumference of each. 
Then he made two capitals of bronze, cast of bronze, to set on the, on, on the tops of the pillars. The height of one capital was five cubits, and the height of the other capital was five cubits. He made a lattice network with wreaths of chain work for the capitals, which were on top of the pillars. Seven chains for one capital and seven for the other capital. So he made the pillars two rows of pomegranates above the network all around to cover the capitals that were on top. And thus he did for the other capital. The capitals which were on top of the pillars in the hall were in the shape of lilies, four cubits. The two capitals on the two pillars also had pomegranates above by the convex system, which was next to the network. And there were 200 such pomegranates in rows on each of the capitals all around. Then he set up the pillars by the vestibule of the temple. He, uh, he set up the pillar on the right and called its name Yaquin, and he set up the pillar on the left and called its name Boaz. And so we had that in Second Chronicles, the previous chapter. The tops of the pillars were in the shape of lily, lilies, so the work of the pillars was finished. He made the sea of cast bronze, 10 cubits from one brim to the other. It was completely round. The, uh, its height was five cubits and, its, and a line of 30 cubits measured its, its circumference. Below its brim were ornamental buds encircling all around, 10 to a cubit, all the way around the sea. The ornamental buds were cast in two rows when it was cast. It stood on 12 oxen, three looking toward the north, three looking toward the west, three looking toward the south, three looking toward the east. And uh, the sea was upon them, was set upon them. And all their back parts pointed inward. It was a handbreadth thick. And its brim was shaped like the brim of a cup, like a lily, like a lily blossom. It contained 2,000 baths. Now, wait a second. 2,000 baths. I thought we read something earlier. It says it contained 3,000 baths over here in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 4. So we got 2,000 baths versus 3,000 baths. Again, we have a discrepancy. And I, there's another one too as well I want to get, get back to in regards to the pillars and the um, capitals on top of the pillars as well. But here's one. Uh, now in the footnotes, it says uh, about 12,000 gallons. Um and it makes it it actually tells you here that it is it says something different in second chronicles chapter 4 verse 5 uh which it does right so it says 3000 baths in the footnote in the footnotes again it makes it clear that it's it, there is a there is a discrepancy there is a contradiction here it says 2000 here uh in first kings so um that's different okay um, verse 27, he also made 10 carts of bronze. This is first Kings chapter seven. Uh, he made 10 carts of bronze. Four cubits was the length of each cart. Four cubits, what uh, its width, three cubits, its height. And this was the design of the carts. They had, they had panels and the panels were between frames and the panels that were between the frames were lions oxen, and cherubim. Again, look at all these different images they had. 
Raven images. And on the top and on the frames was a pedestal on top. Behold, the lions and oxen were wreaths of plated work. Every card had four bronze wheels and axles of bronze, and its four feet had supports. Under the laver were supports of, uh, of cast bronze beside each wreath. Its opening inside the crown at the top was one cubit in diameter, and the opening was round, shaped like a pedestal, one and a half cubits in, the, uh, in outside diameter, and also on the opening were engravings, but the panels were square, not round. Under the panels were four wheels, and the axles of the wheels were joined to the cart. The height of the wheel was one and a half cubits. The workmanship of the wheels was like the workmanship of a chariot wheel. Their axle pins, their rims, their spokes, and their hubs were all of cast bronze. And there were four supports at the four corners of each cart. Its supports were part of the cart itself. On the top of the cart, at the height of the of half uh, half a cubit, it was perfectly round. And on the top of the cart, its flame its flanges and its panels were of the same casting. On the plates of its flanges and its panels. He engraved cherubim, lions, palm trees, wherever there was a cedar space, or excuse me, wherever there was a clear space. I'm saying cedar so much here. I'm saying, wherever there was a clear space on each, with wreaths all around. Thus he made the ten carts. All of them were of the same mold, one measure and one shape. Then he made ten lavers of bronze. Each laver contained forty baths. Each laver was four cubits. Each of the ten carts was a laver. On each of the ten carts was a laver. And he put five carts on the right side of the house and five on the left side of the house. And he set the sea on the right side of the house toward the east or southeast. We see this 40 baths in the footnotes. It says about 240 gallons. Again, that's quite a bit. Verse 40, Huram made its lavers and the shovels and the bowls. So Huram finished all, or excuse, so Huram finished doing all the work that he was to do for King Solomon for the house of the Lord. The two pillars, the two bowl shaped capitals that were on top of the two pillars, the two networks covering the two bowl shaped capitals that were on top of the two pillars. 400 pomegranates for the two networks, two rows of pomegranates for each network to cover the two bowl-shaped capitals that were on top of the pillars, the 10 carts and 10 labors on the carts, one sea and 12 oxen under the sea, the pots, the shovels, and the bowls. All these articles which Huram made for King Solomon, for the house of the Lord, of burnished bronze. In the plain of Jordan, the king had cast in clay molds between Sukkot and Zeratan. And Solomon did not weigh all the articles because there were so many, and the weight of the bronze was not determined. 
so that's what it says right here as well in Second Chronicles chapter 4. Okay, so we're caught up here on both sides. Um, 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 48. Thus Solomon had all the furnishings made for the house of the Lord, the altar of gold, the table of gold that was on the showbread, excuse me, that was the showbread, on <laughs> the table of gold on which was the showbread, the lampstands of pure gold, five on the right side, five on the left in front of the inner sanctuary with the flowers and the lamps and the wick trimmers of gold. The basins, the trimmers, the bowls, the ladles, and the censers of pure gold, and the hinges of gold, both both the doors, both for the doors of the inner room, the most holy place, and the doors of the main hall of the temple. So all the work that King Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things which his father David had dedicated, the silver and the gold and the furnishings, he put them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. Second Chronicles chapter 4, verse 19. Thus Solomon had all the furnishings made for the house of God, the altar of gold and the tables on which uh, was the showbread, the lampstands with their lamps of pure gold to burn in the prescribed manner in front of the inner sanctuary, with the flowers and the lamps, Excuse me, and the and the wick trimmers of gold, of purest gold, the trimmers, the bowls, the ladles, the censers of pure gold. As for the entry of the sanctuary, its inner doors to the to the most holy place, and the doors of the main hall of the temple were pure gold. And once again, let me just quickly check your comments. Um, if we get some quick ones here. Uh, let's see what I'm doing here. Let's go to the wisdom of Solomon. So we have finished our reading, our comparison reading of First Kings and Second Chronicles for tonight, and let's go to the wisdom of Solomon. Wisdom of Solomon. This is chapter 17. O Lord, your acts of judgment are marvelous and hard to explain. That is why. People who, who had not been taught about them went astray. When lawless people imagined that they had your holy nation in their power, they were themselves imprisoned in a long night of darkness. They lay in their own houses, shut off from your eternal care. They thought that their sins had been secret and unnoticed, shielded from from view by a dark curtain of forgetfulness, but now they were horribly afraid, confused, or and terrified by ghostly forms. Only those people were covered by this heavy night, a foretaste of the darkness of death that was waiting for them. They were a burden to themselves that was even heavier than darkness. Not even the dark corners where they lay could protect them from fear. They were surrounded by horrible noises. Grim ghosts with gloom, gloomy faces appeared before them, uh, excuse me, appeared before their eyes. No fire had power to give them light, and the brilliant stars 
could do nothing to relieve that deathly darkness. There was only a dreadful fire lit by no human hand that shone on them. And in their terror, they believed that the real world was even worse than the things they imagined. The illusions produced by their magic tricks were put to shame, and all the wisdom they had boasted of, excuse me, and all the wisdom they had boasted of came to nothing. They had claimed they could drive away all fears and illnesses of sick minds, but now they themselves were sick with silly, groundless fears. Even though nothing dangerous had actually happened, they were terrified by hissing snakes and animals advancing on them. And so they died, shaking with fear, afraid even to open their eyes, yet unable to keep them shut. Wickedness is cowardly in itself and stands self-condemned. Someone with a guilty conscience will always imagine things to be worse than they really are. Fear is nothing but the failure to use the help that reason gives. When you lack the confidence to rely on reason, you give in to the fears caused by ignorance. That's a good one. All night long, those people slept the same restless sleep, even though the night held no power over them, since it came from the powerless depths of the world of the dead. They were chased by hideous forms and lay paralyzed as they surrendered themselves to the sudden, unexpected fear that came over them. People would suddenly collapse and lie locked in the chains of their own fear. Farmers, shepherds, and laborers out in the countryside were captured by the same inevitable fate and bound in the darkness by the same invisible chain. They were panic-stricken by the sighing of the wind or by the sighing or the singing of birds in the trees or by the roar of rushing water or by the rumble of falling rock or by the sound of unseen creatures running about or by the savage roaring of wild animals or by the echoes from the mountains. In the full light of day, the rest of the world went about its business undisturbed. Wisdom of Solomon chapter 18. Yet all the while, a brilliant light was shining for your holy people. Their enemies heard their voices, but couldn't see them. They envied the good fortune of your people who were not suffering. Those enemies could at least be thankful that the people they had wronged were not taking vengeance on them now, and so they begged them to leave. Then you guided your people as they traveled through a country they did not know. You guided them with a pillar of fire. It was like a sun that would not harm them on that glorious journey. But their enemies, who were not allowed to see the light, deserved to be the prisoners in darkness because they had made prisoners of your people. And it was through your people that the eternal light of the law was going to be given to the world. The death of the Egyptian firstborn. When your enemies were carrying out their resolve to kill the babies of 
your holy people. There was one child who was abandoned but later rescued. Then you punished your enemies by killing a great number of their own children. You drowned their whole army at one time in the rushing waters. But our ancestors had been told in advance of what would happen that night so that so that they would be cheered and encouraged by confident trust in your promises to them. Your people knew that you would rescue the righteous nation and destroy their enemies. With the same act, you punished our enemies and did the glorious honor of calling us to yourself. During all this time, devout people from this righteous nation were secretly offering sacrifices, giving their word to each other that they would keep God's law and share each other's blessings and dangers. Already they were chanting those ancient hymns of praise, but their enemies' pitiful cries of grief echoed everywhere, and they mourned for their dead children. Masters suffered the same punishment as their slaves. The king endured the same loss as the common people. There were too many dead bodies to count. There were not enough people left to bury them all. In a single moment, their dearest children died. All of them met death in the same way. These people had paid no attention to any warning, but relied instead on their magical powers. But when their firstborn sons were killed, then they recognized that Israel was God's son. The short night was half over, and all was quiet and peaceful, when suddenly your threats were carried out. An invisible word of judgment sped from your royal throne in heaven, straight down to that doomed land. It came like a soldier in fierce attack, carrying out your firm command with a fearful weapon, standing with feet on the ground and head touching the sky, filling, filling the land with death. At that moment, the people who were about to die had terrible nightmares and were seized by sudden fear. All over the land they laid half dead and let it be known why they, why they were dying. They knew why they were dying, because the horrible dreams had told them. Their horrible dreams had told them. Death also came to the righteous nation, for an epidemic struck many of them while they were in the desert. But your anger did not last long. There was a certain blameless man who quickly took action to defend them. Acting as their priests, Aaron offered prayers and burned the incense used in asking forgiveness of sins. Notice it doesn't say animal sacrifices. It doesn't say blood. And this is true. Uh, incense is actually used for atonement as well as, as, as animal sacrifices. By the way, incense is um, a symbol of prayer, right? We, we read that very clearly in the book of Revelation. With prayers and incense as his weapons, he withstood your anger and ended the disaster. By doing this, he proved that, that he was your servant. He overcame the bitter difficulty, 
but not by his own strength or by military force. Instead, he used prayer to stop the punishment, appealing to the promises you solemnly gave to our ancestors. Dead bodies were already lying in piles, but he stepped in and uh, to hold your anger back and to keep it from harming those who were left alive. He wore long robe, a long robe decorated with symbols of the universe. In honor of our ancestors, he wore four rows of engraved stones on his chest. And your own majesty was represented by the ornament on his turban. The angel of death was afraid of these things and gave up. It was only a slight ex experience of your wrath, but it was enough. Last chapter of the wisdom of Solomon. <laughs> Suicide, stupidity of the Egyptians. But the godless continued to feel your pitiless anger until the very end. You knew that they would do what they would do before they did it. You knew that even though they let your people go and made them leave quickly, they would change their minds and pursue them. While the Egyptians were still mourning at the graves of their dead, they forgot why all this had happened, and they foolishly decided that the people they had begged to leave were runaways. So they chased after them. They were led into this into this as a part of the punishment they deserved so that so that they would suffer the re the, the rest of the torments they were due to receive and yet the flames could not burn the flesh of the perishable creatures walking in them and did not melt and did not melt that heavenly food that would or ordinarily have melted like frost Lord, you made your people great, glorious in all respects. You have never neglected them. You have given them help always, everywhere. Ecclesiasticus. They were to meet a strange death while your people continued on their miraculous journey. The whole nature of the universe was changed at your command so that your people would not be harmed. They saw the cloud over their camp and dry land where water had been. There was a grass there was a grass covered plain between the stormy waves of the Red Sea, making it easy for them to cross over. All your people under your protection saw this miracle and went across. They pranced about like horses led out to the to pasture. They skipped about like lambs and praised you, Lord, for saving them. They still remembered what life had been like when they were slaves, how the earth bred gnats instead of cattle, how the river produced huge numbers of frogs instead of fish. Later, when they desperately wanted better food, quails came up from the sea to satisfy their hunger. The quail was a bird they had never seen before. But violent thunder gave warning of the punishment that was coming on those sinners. They suffered a well-deserved punishment for their great wickedness. No nation had ever hated strangers so bitterly. Other people 
had been known to refuse welcome to, to strangers who came to them, but these people made slaves of those who were their guests and who had shown them kindness. Every nation will be punished if it does not welcome foreigners. But these people who had, er, who had early, earlier welcomed the foreigners with happy celebrations treated them as equals, later made them suffer cruelly. These people also struck with, excuse me, these people were also struck with blindness, like the men of Sodom who came to the door of that righteous man Lot. Again, we got Lot being called righteous here. They found themselves in total darkness as each one groped about to find his own door. On a harp, each string keeps its own pitch, but each sound can be combined with others to make different melodies. That is how it was in those days when the very elements entered into new combinations. Look at what happened. Land animals took to the water and swimming creatures came up on the land. Fire burned even in the water, which could not put it out. And finally, the Odes of Solomon. Owned 33. But grace, but again, grace was swift and dismissed the corrupter and descended upon him to renounce him. And he caused utter destruction before him and corrupted all his work. And he stood on the peak of a, of a summit and cried aloud from one end to the other, or from one end of the earth to the other. Then he drew to him all those who obeyed him. For he did not appear as the evil one. However, the perfect virgin stood, who was preaching and summoning and saying, O you sons of men, return, and you, and you their daughters, come, and leave the ways of that corrupter, and approach me, and I will enter into you, and bring you forth from, from destruction, and make you wise in the ways of truth. Be not corrupted, nor perish. Obey me, and be saved. For I am proclaiming unto you the grace of God. And through me you will be saved and become blessed. I am your judge. And they who have put me on shall not, falsely, shall not be falsely accused, but they shall possess incorruption in the new world. My elect ones have walked with me, and my ways I will make known to them who seek me. And I will promise them my name. Hallelujah. Ode 34. There is no way where there is a simple heart. Excuse me. There is no hard way where there is a simple heart, nor barrier for upright thoughts, nor whirlwind in the depth of the enlightened thought, where one is surrounded on every side by, by pleasing country. There is nothing divided in him. The likeness of that which is below is that which is above. For everything is from above, and from below there is nothing. But it is believed to be by those in whom there is no understanding. Grace has been revealed for your salvation. Believe and live to be saved. Hallelujah. Ode 35. 
The gentle showers of the Lord overshadowed me with serenity, and they caused a cloud of peace to rise over my head. Then it might guard me at all times. And it became salvation to me. Everyone was disturbed and afraid, and there came from them smoke and judgment. But I was tranquil in the Lord's legion. More than shade was he to me, and more than more than foundation. And I was carried like a child by its mother, and he gave me milk, the dew of the Lord. And I was enriched by his favor and rested in his perfection. And I spread out my hands in the ascent of myself, and I directed myself towards the Most High, and I was, rede- and I was redeemed towards him. Hallelujah. Ode 36. I rested on the Spirit of the Lord, and she lifted me up to heaven and caused me to stand on my feet in the Lord's high place before his perfection and his glory, where I continued glorifying him by the composition of his odes. The Spirit brought me forth before the Lord's face, and before I was the and excuse me, and because I was the Son of Man, I was named the light, the Son of God. Because I was most glorified among this glorious ones, among the glorious ones, and the greatest among the great ones. For according to the greatness of the Most High, so she made me, and according to his newness, he renewed me. And he anointed me with his perfection, and I became one of those who are near him. And my mouth was opened like a cloud of dew, and my heart gushed forth like a gusher of righteousness. And my approach was in peace, and I was established in the spirit of providence. Hallelujah. And so that concludes our scripture readings tonight. So, as promised, justified by grace, are you still there? Over there on TikTok, let me know if you are. Are you still there or did you run away? So, what else we have here? Okay, you guys, uh, if you can, again, if you have specific um, questions or something in the live chat, if you can put at Christopher in there, make it a little bit easier. Brick Train, good to see you, brother. Welcome. Uh, so the question is, do you think that Joan of Arc was a prophet? Did an angel come or did an angel crown a French French king? Um why aren't there any more? Why aren't there more prophets today? Will they appear more as the as we approach the day? So there's a lot of questions in there. Um, I can't speak to the Joan of Arc. Um, why aren't there more prophets today? Well, I believe that everyone who calls people to repent from their sins is much more of a prophet than anybody else uh, that claims to be a prophet. There's a lot of people out there that that are um, 
maybe they don't have it all together, you know, theologically or all their doctrine together, but someone who is calling people to repent, even some of these people that you might see on the street corner that's calling people to repent, even though they may not believe and they may not know their doctrine really well, and they may not know, they may believe a lot of things that are not exactly right. Um, they are more of a prophet than, you know, a million pastors are. Um, so prophets do not, as a rule, do not call themselves prophets, right? So you just got to, um, you just got to, um, you just got to know your scriptures. You got to know the ways in the, in the will of God. And, uh, um, let me just tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a quick little story, a, a, a real, this is a real life story. Um, this was about 12 years ago, maybe, maybe a little bit more, 13 years ago. Let me think now. Yeah, eh, about 13 years ago, maybe. Um, I was actually given the job uh, by a uh, one of the a, a church leader not too far from me. I was given the job um, of um, taking recordings of a so-called prophet. Uh, you know, a, a, there was a prophetic conference. You know, at one of these, it was like a charismatic kind of church meeting. It was a you know the prophecy conference, this kind of thing. But it wasn't about Bible prophecy. It was about personal prophecy, if you know what I mean. Uh, and so I was given the job to take full length, um, recordings that was like hours at a time, um, and cut them up into individual personal prophecies. So what, what, what happened was there was this, there was this, um, preacher, they would, a guest that came to this, this conference, this guest was a, um, a lot of people considered him to be a prophet. I think that he actually said that he wasn't like, he didn't really claim that he was, but everybody else claimed that he was because he would, he would share, like what he would do is he would, he would like preach a little bit of a message, not much, but a little bit of a message. And then he would call people forward. And it's like, like the whole church would go forward and he would, and he would prophesy over everybody, you know, the Lord says this to you, the Lord says that to you, the Lord says this to you. And so it was my job uh, this the actual host of this meeting actually sent me in, in sent me um, a recording in, uh, to me in an email of all of like there's like there was I don't know how many different nights there were of of this kind of thing and there was like hundreds hundreds of personal prophecies that was given so I went through all these prophecies and I I did exactly what he what he wanted me to do I cut them up like prophecy to John prophecy to Mary prophecy to Jacob and um, wasn't very long. I started like thinking, okay, so the prophecies that were spoken over these people wasn't like the word of God, like how you read from Genesis to Revelation. What I mean is when you read, like as we're reading through the scriptures, um, there's a common theme, right? There's a common theme of obedience, of, you know, obeying the instructions of God, of repentance and um, all this kind of thing, right? That's the common theme all the way through scripture. And, and I'm thinking this guy, 
he's more or less tickling the ears of everybody. I mean, everybody's getting a new job, a promotion, their job, a new house, a new car. Everybody's getting all these different things according to the words that this guy was giving people. There was a little bit of other things too, like, you know, um, not all was like roses, you know, a bed of roses, but for the most part it was. And so I'm like, man, this is like, this is not the same song as you read in the scriptures. This is not the same tune. This is not the same tone. This is like, you know, ear tickling. Um, and so that's what you got to do. I mean, as you read through the Bible, as you read through the Bible and the extra biblical scriptures as well, um, the more you acquaint yourself with these scriptures, the more you can, you have the ability to, uh, to test, to point out, you know, falsehoods and you know people who are more of the there are people out there that are more of the like a prophet whereas other ones are not so um that's what i would encourage you to do is just keep keep on reading the scriptures for yourself uh and think for yourself and the more you do the more you get acquainted with the ways of god the more you're able to to see uh the difference thank you very much brick train so it seems like justified by grace uh, just a second here. Seems like justified by grace. Ran away. As expected. These people are all bark, but no. I mean, they can't bite either, but they know they can't bite. That's why they ran away. Yeah, one John says, uh, interesting, here they say the spirit is a she, uh, but conventional thought is that the spirit is a male entity. Yes, and, and I do I do believe that it's, um, I would say the spirit is a male entity. And, and, and remember we spoke about this before with Onia, that the spirit, um, uh, he, I think he believes that the spirit is more of a she as well because of the earlier, like the early church writings. Uh, and because the odes of Solomon are, well, they're attributed to Solomon, but they were, it seems to me quite obvious that they were written within the first, you know, in the earlier centuries, uh, far from the time of Solomon. Uh, and probably during that time when they would, they would call the spirit a she. But yes, I, I do believe the spirit was uh, uh, male uh, and had masculine um, properties, that's for sure. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Alex says, do you know why Freemasons use the two pillars from the temple? No, I don't. I, I'm sorry. I cannot, I cannot speak to that. Kingdom Concepts. There are prophets. A prophet is a sayer who simply speaks the words of, of the Most High. Yeah. Uh, Deuteronomy 13 is how we determine whether a prophet is legitimate or not. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Kingdom Concepts says the spirit of wisdom is she. 
Um, thinking back to the um, the Septuagint, my memory serves me correctly. It's the Masoretic text that says she as a Septuagint that says it. Um, Most high or all of him is not exclusively masculine. Well, yeah, it's, it's like, you know, any uh, buddy, if you have an X, if you have the XY chromosome in you, you, you still have a Y, you have it, you still have the X chromosome as well as the Y chromosome in you. Um, that's how I look at it anyway. Uh, so, yeah, very interesting. Okay, um, so I'm going to wrap it up again earlier tonight. Now, I'm not sure I'll have to um, confirm with Will or not if he's going to be here w uh, with us tomorrow night or Friday night. One of the other, one or the other. Kingdom Concept says the Hebrew is feminine. A vote is the most authoritative, or excuse me, I'm thinking about something. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about one thing and I'm, I'm saying another. Uh, Hebrew is the most authoritative text, uh, not saying Masoretic is. Okay. Um, an interesting thing, and this is, you know, an interesting thing is, that, and I hear this, I heard this so many times where it's like, you know, Ruach, uh, you know, the Ruach HaKodesh is Hebrew, you know, in the Hebrew is in the feminine form. So is a vote. A vote, which means fathers. Uh, I understand that that word in the Hebrew is actually feminine. Um, so my question would be, and again, this is just a question. Right, first, but my question would be, be if... If it's if it's if it's in the feminine form in the Hebrew, does that mean that the actual object that it's speaking about is feminine? Because to me, I mean, a vote in is feminine, but yet it's it means fathers. <laughs> so, just a question. All right. So anyway, I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, if we have Will tomorrow with us, you'll see that pre-scheduled. I will schedule that as soon as I find out uh, if he's going to be with us. Um, if not, we will continue with what we're doing tonight, tomorrow night and Friday night. I'm just going by what Will actually told me. Uh, he sent me a message and he said either either Thursday or Friday night, uh, all you know, depending. So one of those nights uh, he will be with us and uh, Saturday night as well. We'll have more of like an open an open floor for uh, for fellowship and such. Uh, over there on TikTok. It says, Hello, brother. God bless you. Thank you very much. God bless you more. Yes, I am. Yes, actually. Yeah. You can tell. All right. So, um, Yep, Kingdom Concept says there are feminine and masculine constructs depending on the statement. Onia is probably better at explaining this than I am. Uh, 
Shokma uh, is feminine. Uh, Ruach, the word itself is masculine. Okay. All right. Vinny says, thank you, Christopher. God bless everyone. Shalom. Thank you very much, Vinny. Shalom multiplied to you. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. I'll see you again tomorrow night, same time, same place. As always, thank you very much um, for your questions, your comments, your fellowship. You guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. As always, guys, I pray the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you, lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen. Amen. See you tomorrow night.